0: Do you think you are a great advocate for your students, especially the students who seem to maybe be overlooked by society or at least uh, from birth, right? No, nothing that they've done or deserved, uh, maybe have received a, a hand of cards that weren't the strongest suit, strongest set of cards you could have. And what do you do for those students, right? How do you help them out? Uh, and help them be the amazing human beings that they can be, right? Uh, or at least grow into that success and potential that they have. And what do you do too, like when you, when you see the the gaps that exist, right? Or the living conditions that might be troubling for you. Well, today's guest, Dr. Gene Latting, has done this kind of work for ages. And uh, this was really just a a positive and feel good episode. I learned a lot from Jean uh, and I think you'll love the stories that she's told, she tells, and and, uh, you can learn from her experience as well. And the one thing I want to point out, because we actually forgot to discuss it in the show, if you love the conversation and you're considering, well, okay, I get Those ideas, and thank you for some of those practical tips, but I'd like to go even deeper and maybe even be held accountable. Uh, Gene has a uh, Pathfinders membership program, uh, which is about leadership for racial and social justice, and and I think you might like checking that out. So just note that the uh, Pathfinders opportunity is linked up for you in the show notes, and I really hope you enjoy our conversation today. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show just for you, a ruckus maker. That means you're an out-of-the-box thinker leading and making change in education. And we'll get to today's main conversation in just a second after a few short messages from our show sponsors. to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools. Self-paced online professional development that fits your schedule. Apply now for our June and July cohorts at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. BS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hello, Ruckus Maker. Today's guest is Dr. Gene Latting, the president of Leading Consciously LLC and Professor Emerita at the Graduate College of Social Work, University of Houston. As a consultant, researcher, and educator, Jean focuses on leadership in multicultural and diverse organizations. Through her organization Leading Consciously, Jean helps individuals and organizations create resilient, sustainable, multicultural, and diverse settings. Welcome to the show, Dr. Latin.
1: Well, thank you, and I am so delighted to be
0: here. Ah, the pleasure is mine, and uh, I've enjoyed, you know, our our brief connection already, and I know you've got some really great stories to tell the Ruckus Maker listening. Uh, I'd like to start where you're in New York City. I believe the neighborhood was called Two Bridges, if I'm right.
1: Yeah, Two Bridges,
0: I'm sorry. Two Bridges. And there you are. You see a huge hole in the floor in somebody's apartment. Can you bring us to that moment, what you were doing there, what's going on,
1: what you learned? Okay, so I'm working for Hamilton Madison House, which is a settlement house. This is the late 60s. So we're, we're post uh, Martin Luther King's 64. We're post all of that legislation and entered into the poor people's movement. And I'm part of that. What we're doing is part of that. I'm a welfare rights organizer and a tenants' rights organizer, which means I'm door knocking. And I'm saying to people, are you having trouble with your building? Are you having trouble with your landlord? You know, poverty neighborhood. Two Bridges is a very interesting neighborhood because it's in the middle of Chinatown, Little Italy. The project was mostly Black and Puerto Rican, and I'm missing Irish. So we have those five ethnic groups. The teenagers in those groups are at war. Our, our job was, as an organizer, we, we got to bring folks together and get them to, and see if they're interested in making changes. So I'm door knocking, and I go into somebody's house, babies, po- just poverty and this giant hole in the middle of the floor. I speak very little Spanish and she speaks very little English, but we piece together a conversation. And the conversation is that hole in the floor is not acceptable. Now, are you willing to come to a meeting? She's got to think about that because she does not want to antagonize the landlord, nor does she want her toddler to fall in the hole.
0: It's a tough choice. It sounds like, you know, that, that this, uh, well, this mother is facing, right? Because I guess I don't want to read in between the lines. I actually, I'll just I'll, I'll throw the mic back to you. And so in terms of antagonizing the landlord, my, my brain is thinking because there might be a repercussion or some sort of consequence. And and then I, obviously with the toddler in the hole, like we, we, we get that one. But yeah, what are you talking about with the landlord?
1: Eviction. Mm. Not waiting an extra day for the rent. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I happen to be late because I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul. Just being mean. Yeah, right. Just being mean, not fixing the, uh, uh, the broken radiator. So I don't want to antagonize him. But as a tenant, what rights do I have? And am I willing to join with others on my block and in my community to go and protest at City Hall and say, we need to you to enforce the codes, the building codes.
0: Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm piecing it together too, then uh, there there were codes uh, in the books uh, that should have protected this resident, this human being, this mom. But the the landlord, he or she knew he could get away with some stuff, right?
1: Yeah. Well, okay. So in those in those days, that's what I would have said. Since then, I have, I've learned to look at all sides.
0: Okay. Help me, yeah. Help me see that.
1: From his side, it's not bringing in much money. Right. It's under rent control. This is New York City. So he can't raise the rents, but so much. Mm-hmm. He, he has to make a living off of it. He might be retired. He might have inherited the building from his deceased father. So he, he has to make a living on it. And the tenants are always complaining. Mm. And it's an old building. What do they expect? It'll never be right. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. a limit of what I can do. There's a limit of what I can afford to do. Sure. So I'm not that's saying that he's right. Yeah. But I'm saying that's his rationale.
0: Right. You're saying this is what it feels like for him to walk a mile in his shoes, right? That that yes, uh, exactly. that metaphor. And I think if I caught you correctly, you said... Uh, Back then, that's how you would have described it. And and nowadays you're able to see from his perspective and walk a mile in his shoes. How did you learn that? Because it's such a great skill for a leader, right? I mean, you're gonna have parents who are upset, students who make poor decisions, faculty members that do things that just have you scratching your head, right? And uh, to be able to empathize, and like you said, it doesn't condone it, right? I'm not saying it's right, but I'm understanding what's driving this human beings' behavior. How, how did you learn that?
1: Literally, I devoted my academic career to learning that. Okay. I'm a, so I'm a social work professor, and yeah. there's nothing I can't think of anything better uh, occupation than that if you're curious about human beings. Because I experience a problem, and then I say, I think I'll go learn about that, and I go read up on whatever it is and and learn about it and piece it together and based on what i learned and try out new ways of acting and new ways of thing thinking i test out things in my classes because i'm teaching empowerment i'm teaching leadership i'm teaching community develop community organ uh community organize i forgot what they called it i'm teaching leadership and supervision so i learned some i have a problem (laughs) that's the way it went somebody's mean to me or i I think I did something wrong. I go learn about that phenomenon. I develop a module. I test it out of my class and I learn. It. And then the students tell me if it works or not. So, so, little by little, that's how I learned to put it together. The empathy part came because I was talking to a student. And I said, Can you imagine how Jane felt in that situation? And they say, Well, if I were Jane, I would. And I, no, that's not the question I asked you. I asked you, can you imagine how Jane felt? Not how you would have felt if you were Jane.
0: Right.
1: Right? Big difference. And some people literally can't get there. They say, but Jane is wrong. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Jane is wrong. Can you imagine why Jane, how, and I got a question I learned to ask people was, Jane goes to bed every night and sleeps. She's not waking up thinking she acted horribly. What is it that she's thinking that allowed her to sleep soundly and think she was okay? How does she justify that action to herself? And so that's the question that helped unlock this, the skill of empathy for a lot of people. Jane thinks she's fine.
0: Yeah. She doesn't see an issue. So can you understand what's motivating and driving her and, Another way that I was it was taught to me. Uh, uh, can you explain why why they are right? Right, not not to say that they are, but to get in their mindset because they're uh, acting and showing up in the world a certain way, or arguing a worldview and perspective, and that kind of thing. And what you brilliantly pointed out, Gene, was that um, Jane doesn't think she's wrong, so. Obviously, there's some principles and worldview that she has that's different than your student or me or you. uh, And can you get inside her head is is what I'm hearing.
1: And some people literally cannot. Mm -hmm.
0: They cannot Mm
1: -hmm. leave themselves and put themselves in somebody else's shoes.
0: Yeah. What do we do with that person if they're on our staff? Because, you know, the ruckus maker listening, they're a school leader, right? So, And that's terrible to say, but, oh, my gosh, a faculty member, a Teacher, God
1: forbid, that lacks empathy. Ooh, but what do we do? Okay. What role are we in? Principal. Oh, we're in the principal. Then we say to the person, I I, you first, whenever you want someone to change, the first question is, are they aware that's a problem?
0: Mm, Good. Yeah.
1: The principal will move on to try and explain to the person why they should change. And they're not changing if they don't even think there's a problem. So, and is Are you aware that people think that you're not getting them? I would never say, like, are you aware you people think you lack empathy because that's too insulting. But I would say, are you aware that your students, some of your students think you don't get them? What do you mean I don't get them? Well, then, so then I play the game with them. Okay, Fernando in your class. He, you, you were complaining that he came in without his uh, homework. Just what, what could be going on in his home life that would bring him in, have him show up to school with his homework undone? Just what might that be?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, if I were Fernando, nah, that's not the question I asked you. The question I asked you is yep. just hypothesize. Just play What's with going it.
0: on in Fernando's life? That Let me ask it. you this though, Gene, because. Uh, you know, I worked with these people, so then they're gonna say those are just excuses, and I'm trying to hold high expectations for Fernando to come to class right with his homework.
1: Yes, is it working
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah right I love <laughs> that's so good, right, yeah, how's it working for you right is it is it effective?
1: Yeah, if it's working, keep doing it,
0: mm. but if
1: it's not <laughs> working, then change strategies,
0: yeah, yeah. I love that so much. That's brilliant. Uh, Gene. I want to go back to two bridges just for a second and and sort of connect the dots to where we are now, talking to a principal, a ruckus maker, as I call them, uh, in a school. And so there you are knocking on doors and advocating for people. So if you're a school leader and you want to knock on doors and get to know your community better, let's say, Um, and advocate for for those that are maybe underserved, right? Any tips, any tips or ideas about how they might approach that work?
1: Yeah, there is a guy at Yale who years ago did a fantastic study. He, in New Haven, he took the bottom uh, district school district that was mostly uh, black, I think. And they were bottom scoring, raised them second from the top. And he had a three pronged program with regard to the parents. He discovered that the students, uh, the teachers and the school were waiting for the parents to come to them. So they were complaining. These poor people never show up for the PTA. And he turned that. No, you go to them. They they are not going to come to you unless you go to them. And and so the teachers, uh, some of them had to go because they weren't willing to do home visits. But he had them go to home visits, talk to the teach uh, parents, and then the parents were willing to come to the school. So he looked for systematic barriers that kept the parents from coming to the school, and he eliminated those barriers. He had that he set up times uh, in the evenings, not just the daytime. Uh, I think KIPP today's KIPP Academy is do, have some similar approaches of so that they have intense parent, parental involvement. So number one is if your district uh, does not, a uh, school does not have parental involvement, you've got to figure out how to have it because if the cat, the poor kid is dichotomized between home life and school life, they already got uh, one down. So that's a, a very important tip. The second, which I know is still true today, is if you're in a if you're in a rich affluent neighborhood where the kids have the um, every kid has their own laptop by, bought by their parent, then you know they have the resources there. if the kid is still underperforming then you got to figure out what's going on in the home is there abuse what you know whatever this is in the affluent neighborhoods in the poor neighborhoods then What resources do they need? And do you believe those kids can learn? There are so many teachers who, if you listen to them carefully, they think poor kids cannot learn. And so that's the second thing to work on.
0: Yeah. Mindset, expectations, beliefs.
1: The expectations of the teachers for the kids. And it's from lack of empathy because the teachers used to be certain cues that this is a kid ready to learn. Sharpened pencil, laptop, clean big backpack, you know, whatever, uh, uh, the highfalutin shoes. So the teacher has these cues they're looking at. And you got to have the kid, the teacher learn how to recognize cues for readiness for learning from a kid who doesn't have all of those Acumen; those things surrounding them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those are the two big things: parental involvement that I would emphasize, and check and make sure your teacher believes that every kid in their class can learn.
0: Right, right. Uh, before our break here, I'd like to ask one more question. And in, in, uh, you know, you, you mentioned going, meeting parents where they're at, conducting home visits. Uh, Any other sort of strategy or tactics you'd like to share with the ruckus maker listening regarding just bringing people together?
1: I'm not clear how much time there is in your typical public school to do that. Hmm. And so to the extent that it's possible Yes, obviously, have opportunities for teachers to discuss. Have small groups rather than waiting until the big forum where nobody gets to talk except the principal. Mm-hmm. See if you can set up small groups, small learning groups within the school of teachers where they they share. I, as I, I know that sometimes teachers in adjacent classrooms share, but sometimes they don't. If you have a high-performing teacher... That's super out out outperforming the other three. Let's say in a pod, then that high performing teacher is going to be uh, isolated and may not. And the other three may not know how to learn from that person. So figure out how you're going to get get that rectified.
0: Got it. Well, uh, Doctor Lanting, I'm enjoying this uh, conversation. So we're going to continue it but we're going to pause right here real quick for a message from our show sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and empower your teams with Harvard Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online professional development that fits your schedule. Now enrolling for June and July 2021. Courses include Leading Change, Leading Schools, Leading People, and Leading Learning. Apply today at better better com forward slash Harvard. That's better better com forward slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX, because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. And we're back with Dr. Gene Latting, the president of Leading Consciously, LLC. And we're having a great conversation, you know, talking about bringing people together, advocating for those that are uh, underserved and, and, uh, you know, just challenging mindsets and beliefs of our faculty and that kind of thing. So this has been a very rewarding conversation for me already. I remember from our intro chat, you had a story where you learned that you can't be scared into silence. And I'm wondering if you would share that story with the ruckus maker listening right now.
1: Okay, so remind me which one this was, because I have a a bunch of them. That's a lesson I keep learning.
0: That's a lesson you keep learning. Well, I have that written after some notes about uh, welfare rights and the Vietnam War. So I don't know if that
1: helps. Okay, so I'll just pick a story then.
0: Sounds good.
1: I have been in situations... I'll, t- I'll talk about the first time I went, my first big university meeting. Hmm. I'm the only yep. black person in the room.
0: This was the I'm story. the
1: only woman in the room.
0: Yep.
1: This was the story.
0: This, this was it, yep.
1: The chairs are tall, leather mahogany, because this is in the administration building, which was old, you know, elegant, old stuff. And there are six of us, six to eight of us around the table, and I started talking And somebody interrupts me. It's I mean, just talks. So I start talking again. I get my little nerve up. And I see another thing I might say. So I say that thing. And somebody interrupts me. And they just talking to each other. And then I say another thing. And somebody interrupts me. And I decide to keep on talking. And so he's talking. And I'm talking. And I just keep talking. And I finish saying my thing. And so we are bumping heads. Now, 10 minutes, 10 seconds is a painfully long time for two people to bump heads. And for me, it was a game of chicken. Somebody's gonna shut up talking and it's not me. So I just kept going. And then he looked up and looked at me very startled and he shut up. And then I completed, everybody looked at me. Everybody's eyes were big. I could tell they were looking at me for the first time. My heart was pounding. My voice was quavering. But this is a game of chicken, and I'm not going to lose this game. So I kept going. And after that, every time I spoke, everybody shut up real quick and looked at me and listened. I didn't have any more problems after that.
0: Where did you find the strength to continue talking or to not back down uh, as a woman, as a person of color uh, in in this space? Uh, I think that would be really useful, you know, for folks listening to the podcast.
1: My father always said, it's all about strategy. And this is where I got what we were saying before. Is it working for you? My father was, if the strategy is not working, you switch strategies. You don't hang on to the same strategy. Hmm. And so I was raised to think I can outsmart anybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I can just just figure it out. I can just figure it out. And so, you know, it's all about mindset. And so, no, you will not. You are not going to beat me. Yes, I do have a better strategy. Yes, I do have something to say. No, you will not shut me down. And mm-hmm. so, it's like uh, it's a, if I can use the word, it's a word that begins with D and it ends and in in. Okay,
0: it's up to you. Yeah, it's fine. okay.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I think I'll be damned. Yeah. There's a, yeah. something that clicks that says I'll be damned. You will not knock me into the ground. I have a better strategy.
0: Gotcha. What if they didn't have such a great uh, role model like like you did in your father?
1: Okay, so there are things that I don't do well at all and nobody taught me and that I had to learn through the school of hard knocks. Uh, And, of course, I had the advantage that I could go read about it. But let's just take the school of hard knocks. So your average person has to learn through the school of hard knocks. So look at the person who does it well. Whatever this thing is, if this thing is speaking up, look for someone who does it well and go talk to that person and ask them. I noticed you spoke up. Were you nervous? How did it feel? And then go find somebody else and then go so find somebody else. And by the fifth, or fourth or fifth time, you will at least have a clear uh, understanding of what it takes. Mm hmm. And by that time, you will be acclimated. It's like a snake phobia. You get each time you get a little closer to the snake until finally you can touch the snake. So each conversation is going to bring you a little bit closer to being able to do that thing. You're breaking down the barrier that you have that you the thing is over here and you're way over there. Right. Each conversation brings it a little bit closer until one day you say, I'm ready to
0: try it. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really great advice. I, I have a friend, Josh Spodek, and uh, he wrote a book called Leadership Step-by-Step. And he talks about getting uh, yourself a mentor, which I think is exactly what you're talking about. You find somebody who's doing, exhibiting a, a behavior that you you desire, right? That's a challenge for you. And like you said, have a conversation And I like the language you said. I noticed that you do X really well, right? And me, I'm trying to grow in that area. And I wonder if we could talk about that topic and maybe if you'd provide some feedback to how I'm doing it, you know? Um, So I really appreciate, you know, how you shared that. I have one more question before I get to the last two questions I ask all my guests But I I just love to hear your perspective on talking about race, right? And and depending on the school uh, in the community, for all schools, that's an important discussion to be had. But depending on the setting of the school, folks are going to have different comfort levels around that, right? And so do you have any tips just, yeah, for the ruckus maker listening how to discuss race?
1: Yeah. Yes. So everybody needs to know. That is uncomfortable and it's okay. If we want the students to grow and learn, we as teachers and educators, if we just stay in our comfort zone, we're not role modeling to kids how to do something that's hard. So let's conquer this thing. Let's role model to kids that even though it's hard, we we can do this thing and it's okay to be uncomfortable. So that's step one is to acknowledge that and to be willing to bear the discomfort step two is to have a rule of no shaming if it's an uncomfortable situation somebody's going to say something horribly offensive and stupid and everybody's those who know that are going to sit around snickering to themselves or cutting cutting eyes at one another and those who don't know it are going to be oblivious so the phrase calling out I Object to I say call them into community. So Fred, I've noticed that you use the word Oriental. Uh, as far as I know, right now most uh, Asian Americans prefer that term. Oriental brings up the uh, the Gishi girl image, and so and tra- human trafficking. So let's not go there. Let's this is the term. Uh, but a lot of people don't know the term. So I know you didn't know the term. So it's really OK. So do you want to say what you just said again, but this time refer to Asian-Americans? So I'm giving him a chance to self-correct in front of people. If I just if I shame him, oh, how terrible. Everybody knows better than to say that. Then I'm shaming him. If I correct him and then he has to sit there mute and embarrassed, he's still mute and embarrassed if I give him a chance to say it now he's he's a hero he's learned he's demonstrated learning and he's showing that he can say the right term
0: what I would add to that is uh, his opportunity at a second score right the first score yes. he failed second yes. time he you has. know that's growth mindset and that's what we want to see for our students too so
1: exactly.
0: yeah appreciate you sharing it well, Jean, I'd love to hear if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message read?
1: Okay, it's fun to learn.
0: Yep, it's fun to learn. And if you were building a, a school from the ground up, Jean, it's your dream school. You have no limitations besides your imagination. How would you build that dream school? What would be your top three priorities?
1: Well... Uh, The list that I have here, I'm going to switch up based on this conversation, actually.
0: All right. I love it.
1: Okay. I would make social skills and emotional self-awareness as important as the content, math and algebra and all of that stuff. Because if I believe in myself and I know how to manage my negative emotions and I know how to manage other people's negative emotions... I'm not blocked from learning. The time invested in me learning how to do those things frees me up to learn math, frees me up to do the homework and all of that. So that would be number one. Uh, and for, so social skills, both for the educators and for the students, because the educators need to be freed up too from all that negative energy. The second is I would have the flipped curriculum and which instead of the teacher lecturing and students expecting to hear it from the first time, if, if it has to be videos for the, uh, for the visual folks, whatever, but let them learn the content and then bring the class together to discuss it, ask questions and all of that. I think that's so important and it allows people to learn it for the first time at their own pace and you know have multiple sources for them to learn. So I think that's number two, that's, that's very important. And number three, I would have hardcore leadership training for the for the principal and the assistants, everybody in a leadership capacity. Just because you know how to teach doesn't mean you know how to learn. Just because you are empathetic and a nice person doesn't mean mean you know how to lead. That's what I meant to say. So they need to have bona fide leadership skills.
0: Yeah, I agree. The the skill set you have to be an effective teacher doesn't necessarily translate to the principal's office, uh, although it can help. And then you learn those leadership skills. Well, Jean, you know, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We talked about a lot today of everything we talked about. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: It's fun to learn. Thanks
0: for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, ruckus maker